Osiris. I was forced to carry around my swaggy stems and seeds in the Ziploc bag. And if I wanted a pop brownie, the best I could do is maybe put that sucker in tin foil and hope that it just wouldn't disintegrate and fall apart. It's 2018. I don't have to do that anymore because we're very happy to be sponsored by Kushko. Have you seen the amazing containers that cannabis and hemp products come in these days? No longer have to suffer with poor containers and poor baggies and any of that old stuff. Plus, they have to comply with strict guidelines, so the childproof and all that. So Kush Co. Holdings is a publicly traded company under the ticker KSHB and the parent to very innovative cannabis industry leaders such as Kush Supply Co., Kush Energy, the Hybrid Creative, and Coletto Packaging Solutions. Kushko Holdings has now sold more than 1 billion units and sells to more than 5,000 legally operated medical and adult use dispensaries, growers, and producers all across North America, South America, and Europe. The days when you had to have that little wooden dugout for your one-hitter are over. Go to kushko.com slash podcast to learn more. And now let's go Beyond the Pond. Episode 52 of the Beyond the Pond podcast. This is the podcast in which, generally speaking, Brian and myself utilize the music of Fish as a springboard to get the listener to listen to other bands. These are usually not jam bands because, let's face it, we love Fish. We are Fish fans, very much Fish fans, looking forward to the holiday run. The problem is, Fish fans. They get a bit myopic. They only listen to fish. They fail to see the forest for the trees. They get really, 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 really excited about set lists and different permutations and different dates in history. And well, they should get excited, but not to the extent that it keeps them from listening to other bands. We're going to do something about it. That is absolutely, absolutely correct. When we say other bands... We don't just mean side projects, guys. We mean other bands. 
<laughs> we are here with our second installment. This is our now second annual holiday run special. This one is boozy. This one is loose. This one is groovy. It's basically like what we hope happens with like a set two twist on maybe December 29th this year. We're going to talk a little bit about fish holidays. We're going to talk a bit about wrapping up 2018 here. Fish shows from 2018. And we're going to send you guys off into the holiday season with a playlist that we think you guys are going to like. Normally when I record the episode, I either drink a beer or drink water or drink nothing at all. But this time, it's the holiday run. I'm drinking Madeira. Never done that before recording Beyond the Pond. See how it turns out. I've got some glug uh, just kind of going a little bit slow here on this stove. So I'm right there with you, dude. Mm. So some of the themes that we're going to explore in this episode include fish holiday runs, the magic of the season, emphasis on December 28th, 2018 slow burner albums, our favorite fish shows of 2018, and late night booze-filled holiday jams. On that note, let's get to some fish. So if you joined us last year for our first installment of Holiday Run episode, uh, you might remember we talked about underrated holiday shows throughout the years. And I believe that we spoke about uh, 1230.95 and 1229.96. Was that what it was? Yes, that's correct. Yeah. Yeah. Two great shows that... Um, Definitely get overshadowed in the overall holiday runs of fish, but also um, they get overshadowed in their respective runs, if you will. Um, we wanted to do something a little bit different and kind of start a tradition here going forward. We're going to start by talking about December 28th here as uh, what mainly what usually is the first night of a fish holiday run. And we're just going to march on through until we reach the end of uh what makes sense from fish holiday runs, which I believe is January 4th, which was only played once back in 2003. So mm. stick here over the next seven years. I want to say it is. <laughs> but 2003. No, it would have been January 4th was done in. Yeah, it was 03. It was uh, the Hampton. They, they did MSG 1231. Hampton. Oh God. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. 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 Um, but uh, so we wanted to talk a little bit about some 1228. So we wanted to pick a show that is pretty unique in the overall 1228 uh, spectrum here. Um, and that is 1228-2003. And I posed the question that Dave immediately slammed down, but I want to pose it again just to get his reaction live on the air. Was this the best 1228 show that the band has ever played? No. 
<laughs> it's just not. <laughs> Maybe uh. What is um, what is better? Twelve twenty and ninety five. Okay, that's a very good selection. It's it's the correct selection. This just had like gems scattered across it. I love how it opens with Bowie. You get Tweezer three songs into the set. Um, it's just got like a really unique 2003 flow that I'm just huge fan. It was a good show, definitely. 122803 to me sounds like an apology for um, the 20th anniversary Turkey Run. <laughs> it's like they heard everybody on PT complaining throughout December 2003. Yeah, like, okay, okay. Here's Bowie and Tweezer right out the gate. It's unquestionably better than any of those four shows. I think that. 122895 crushes it like a grape, but not because I was there. I mean, I guess when you are weighing 03 and 95, it is tough to uh, rank anything from 03 as better. Um, but I love how this show just jams. Again, it opens up with a 17-minute David Bowie, and that's a 17-minute full David Bowie with a really wild kind of atmospheric op- uh, opening three, sec- three minutes before you get into the... And jump into the chorus, the song. Um, two songs later, you get a 14-minute tweezer. I mean, right out the gates, they just show their intentions in Miami are to be loose, to let things go, to jam a bunch. And they sure did that over the four nights uh, throughout that entire run. It was a really memorable run amidst um, a ton of darkness. I actually I really liked this uh, this Miami 03 run. What were your thoughts on it? Um... A lot of people really seem to like twelve thirty oh three. I think that show's a mess. Yeah, I just think that show is druggy silliness. That was probably fun if you were there, but when you have it on home in your stereo and they start doing the stupid LA woman jamming, and then they bring out P Funk, and then that's P Funk is probably in a state similar to the state that Fish was in at the time. I, I don't like that show at all. <laughs> I know that's not a popular opinion, but I think, yeah, I mean, 1228 is probably my favorite of the run. And it's it's a very good first set. It's got, um, there's like a fishman hold your head up in the first set too, right? There is, yeah. And they even cap the first set off with a tweezer reprise. They don't make you wait for it. Right. I mean, the tweezer's only 13 minutes long, but I mean, it's good first set rock and roll. And I mean... What we're going to play a little bit is the 12-minute Frankie Says. Uh, that's a song that even back then they didn't play a heck of a lot. I don't think they've played it and since Alpine Valley of uh, like 2015. That's got a very powerful jam, which has Fishman beating his cymbals like they owe him money, which is how you know it was from 2003. Because <laughs> Fishman, yes, I think we explored this in the episode where we talked about the sense and subtle sounds from uh, July 30th to 2013, uh, 2003. You just don't know what his cymbal setup was that summer, but oh my God, can you hear him? Yeah, he's got that huge crash cymbal that he just rode throughout the entirety of the tour. Um, a lot of huge jams on him. That sense and subtle sounds is a really great call for that. This Frankie says really just like screams 2003 for me. They they could just leap into a jam at any time during that year, and um, it's just very clear how loose they were feeling and how ready they were feeling to just kind of dive into the deep end. Um, it should be of note, I, you know, the, the the 29th of this run is probably the tightest show of the overall run, and 
probably the tightest show played between it and Camden 09. <laughs> like it's got like the most energy of any show that they played for, you know, over like a six year period in time. And obviously there was a big gap there. But um, if I can admit my ignorance, I don't think I've listened to 12, 29, 2003, probably since December 30th of 2003. It's got a really, really, really good Piper opener. Um, I'm going to implore you to go to to listen to that before you go to bed tonight. Um, It will probably keep you up at night. The last three minutes are like some of the most aggressive, tight hose Trey did throughout all of 03. Um, and the second set is just like a segue masterpiece and has a second encore. I think it's a, the last second encore until um, uh, until Hampton 2018. Um, but also of note, one of, uh, one of my favorite jams from that whole run is the stash that opens up the second set of 1231. That is like the quietest and most contemplative stash I've ever heard. It's absolutely gorgeous. Was that the year the gag? Was it the marching band? Yeah, it was like the clown car that like everybody all like somebody like. Um, was the marching band playing like uh, like jungle, jungle boogie? boogie. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, but anyway, getting back to twelve twenty eight, uh, set two, it's got a really solid rock driven jabu, and then an insane and psychedelic and somewhat fall ninety seven esque uh, like hints of the Winston-Salem bathtub gym, Susie Greenberg, that uh, just had to have blown the minds of everyone who had traveled down to Miami for that weekend. And it's a theme from the bottom, not play particularly well, but it's quite the soaring jam. The uh, A nice, quick version of Water in the Sky. I can question the set two placement, but it was played very well. Then the band kicks you in the nutsack with Friday. <laughs> and then a very solid version of Harry Hood. Yeah. But I'd call that Susie, I think, a less fall 1997 and more summer 2003, just because it has like an indiscriminate rock and roll jam. It has nothing in common with Susie Greenberg, which, while very good, it's kind of like their tendency of 2003. Fish 2.0 in general to jam that song out. I remember. Um, yeah. The first, the summer 2004 tour opener from Brooklyn. Yes, yes. That was released has like a 19 minute hellscape, like Susie Greenberg. that just goes all over the fucking place. Yeah, and you're right. I mean, they would, they would like, um, you know, it happens so many times in a lot of songs in 2.0 where they'd be playing the song and then Trey would find some minor key, like bar chord that he'd just start wailing on and then just start going off on like a blues solo that the band was off and rolling on and you definitely get that here with this Susie um, you know I think both that and the Frankie says are definitely the peaks of the show and two of the peaks of the overall run I would say absolutely
right, so before we jump into um, our favorite shows of 2018 and our uh, late bloomer albums and our Christmas music, I want to just take you on a trip through 1228s through history. So December 28th, for most New Year's Eve runs, that date uh, functions as the tour opener. It tends to often feel like rehearsal. It rarely features the best set or jam of a run. I think part of the reason we chose this 2003 show was because um, the Susie and Frankie says are two of the highlights of the overall run. Um, but thematically, what's important in these shows is usually you get a sense of what Fish is going to give you during that run, what some of the larger themes would be. There's never really a hint in terms of what the gag is going to be at New Year's. But, you know, when you listen back in hindsight, you can usually hear kind of where the band was going, what they were feeling. Um, we'll talk about this a little bit, especially when we get to 2013 um, in terms of kind of what the band was doing with the uh, with the 1228 show there to preview kind of where they were going sonically throughout that run. But just kind of giving you guys a quick hit through um, the 1228 history. So in 1990, the first 1228 show in Fish history, we've got an amazing set one that is marked by Reba, Forbins and the Mockingbird, Mike's Groove, all in set one. Can you imagine that? Set two has a tweezer into Manteca into tweezer, and John Popper sits in on the harmonica. 1990 John Popper, my God. In 1990 John Popper at that. Uh, skipping ahead to 92, this is where we really see the band fall into their four-night holiday run uh, that we're going to see as kind of being the tradition going forward. So you get a really great split open of Melt, Reba, You Enjoy Myself, and Harry Hood. All four songs in set two. Just like imagine them doing that nowadays and the entire crowd losing their mind. It would be kind of on par with what they did during Meriwether Post night two of this year in their first set. 93. We got the, de the debut of the aquarium stage setup. Band played the first Peaches in 558 shows, the first since 623.89. And this was played because Zappa had passed, Frank Zappa, I should say, had passed away just a few weeks prior to the band on the honor. And then finally, 1994, you got a gorgeous 1994-esque Reba, a huge 17-minute Weekapog groove with cars, trucks, buses, teases in the second set, which was just fantastic stuff. They were teasing cars, trucks, and buses back in 1994? They were. Huh. Pretty wild, huh? Interesting. I gotta go back and listen to that. Okay. Yeah, it's a pretty crazy version. So, going forward from 1995, big split-open metal opener. Set 2 had a killer Wilson and buried alive with multiple trade drum kitting into tweezer segment. Huge hose in that tweezer. Uh, the second song, the second set was a great version of Theme from the Bottom. I'm a little biased. I had floor tickets for that show, but I really think it's one of the better uh, 1228s out there. Then 1228, 1996. Arguably the best show of that run. I might like December 29th, 1996 a little bit better, but 1228 had a really excellent mic song to Strange Design and to Weekapog. Highly to that show, one of the best jams of 1996. And I think uh, we can both agree that both 1228 and 1229 were both significantly better in the 30th and, for, and the uh, 31st of that run. Yes. 1997, big runaway gym and split open melt in set one. 
In set two, he's got Axela into Simple, Ghost into Drown, Haley's into Slave to the Traffic Light. Very, very good show, and yet somehow the weakling of that run, just the fucking New Year's 1997 run being what it was, <laughs> and there's uh, some classic stage banter after Ghost or some weird feedback noises, and Trey's like, that's just a ghost in a machine. I don't know what the hell I'm talking about. 1998, Acoustic Side Stage. Interesting uh, garden setup that wasn't really featured at all in the next three shows. Kind of an outlier. Gigantic Karini's Wolfman's open the second set. And a uh, little Change Addiction Encore, been caught stealing. So skipping ahead past 2003, we didn't have any other 1228 shows aside from the Miami uh, run. Uh, 2009, we return to Miami. We get the first Rogue of 3.0. 84 shows for that. Uh, you get light inside of Mike's groove and a really nice extended Harry Hood towards the end of 2009 there. Um, probably the weakest show of that overall run that saw the band improve night after night. But uh, that light inside Mike's groove and uh, Harry Hood should not be missed. 2010, this is an aberration. And for all of you keeping it, dutiful notes at home yes we are skipping 12 27 2010 not a ton to really highlight in that show and we really wanted to jump into 12 28s here so you know it's our podcast you know we can do what we want here but 12 28 was the only mm. time that this there excuse me 2010 was the only time that 12 28 has been played and not kicked off in new year's this show is actually a really underrated show at this point in time i really like this show uh, you got She Caught the Katie for the first time in 323 shows since July 21st, 98. Pigtail and Birdwatcher both debuted in set one. Huge, glorious Harry Hood in set two. It might be, I don't know if I would say this is, but it might be the best of 3.0 just from a pure standpoint. You've got that that beautiful hood theme within Plinko jamming. It's just a... It's the best of, I would say it's the best 3.0 um I guess pre like fuck your face era. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, I think you're definitely right because 2014 had a ton of great versions. 2013, um, even last year, Baker's Dozen had a really good one as well. Um, but just a gorgeous, gorgeous jam that definitely holds up. I believe that this show had an Albuquerque in it, which um, I would kill <laughs> to see that. Uh, but this was uh, the second of two shows in Worcester where the band played in frigid conditions and. Trey responded with a uh, horrendous head cold. Oh, God, God. yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> he, like, couldn't sing for half of it, and it wasn't a repeat of Vegas. <laughs> um, jumping ahead to the next year, 2011, uh, we get the first full four-night MSG run since 1998, and the first of what would become a tradition uh, over the next basically i think it's every year except for 2014 that they played four nights at msg to close out the right. year or kick off the next year it's pretty cool so this run is terrible uh this is easily the best show of the run uh it has the first free opener ever cities goes deep immediately three songs in the set before it just dies uh carini segues directly into tweezer and rock and roll segues directly into NICU, which are the best moments of the show. And you've got a really great encore to boot. Um, yeah, enough can't be said. We will not be featuring any 
of the following shows for the 2011 runs when we do 12, 29, 30, and 31, because they were terrible. Yeah, the only one of those runs I saw in person was 12, 30. And Piper kind of had an interesting ambient, like staring off into space jam. But for the most, yeah, for the most part, those shows are terrible. Unless you enjoy Third Set Alaska's. <laughs> um, and then 2012, this was my very first New Year's run. 12-28-2012 was my first New Year's run show. Uh, you had a killer Wolfman's and a little drummer boy to close out uh, set one. Tweezer in all caps. This jam, I remember when it was played, my brother and I were hanging out at the show together and I had seen the Dick shows and then the MSG shows. And I kind of elbowed him during this and was like, this is exactly what Dick sounded like. Like immediately they dropped into that kind of bliss Dick's jamming, that kind of cubist where they go like one theme right into another theme to a peak. Um, really, really, really great stuff there. Uh, second set's got a good maze, good Bowie, fluff head, just a really solid 12-28 overall that would, um, I think, be surpassed by 12-30 of that year was, was uh, kind of the all-star show that round. Yeah, twelve thirty. Although twelve twenty nine, twenty twelve sucked. Horrible. And twelve thirty one, twenty twelve will not, but bad by any means. It was not as good as the thirtieth, the twenty eighth. Correct. So with regard to twenty thirteen, twelve twenty eight, twenty thirteen, I was up in the Chase Bridge for that show. Um, it's a nothing show, kind of. It to me kind of feels like a summer twenty ten show. A little, little underwhelming given the quality of the year. Clearly, the highlight is Steam. It's a big, I think, 13-minute version that compares well with the uh, July 26, 2017 version because of uh, lots of fishermen screaming during both of these. You get a wedge opener, and this was also um, kind of pretty good Wolfman's in the first set. This show is when it became evident that uh, Trey had bought an Echoplex over the break, and by golly, he was going to use it. Because New Year's Run 13 is the Echoplex run, because he uses it quite a bit. I think there's one of the shows in that run where he comes out, and before they even jump into a song, I think it's the next night, 1229, which is a very good show, and uh, he just, like, strums chords on the Echoplex for his own entertainment. <laughs> he was so into it. <laughs> yeah, right. That's, like, the Karini of that from that show is Echo just everything is Echo Plus Carini yes, that show yes. yeah. let's see 2016 very solid uh, December 28th had some first set bust outs that was the one that started with the acapella Star Spangled Banner that I wrote the fish tent review for that show and I had the audacity to say that had something to do with the election and then people <laughs> jumped down my throat because all of uh, a lot of fish in that common is want to make America great again what can I say Lonesome Cowboy Bill. <laughs> what is it about you and I writing fish.net reviews and uh, just encouraging people to be progressive and getting this shit kicked out of us in the comments section? I don't know, man. When you <laughs> try to put some politics, don't mix politics in my fish. I get it to a certain extent. I use fish shows for like release. But come on, man. Hey, man, if we if we have a platform, we got to use it. Exactly. <laughs> Lonesome Cowboy Bill in that first set, 177 shows. Karina Karina, 170 shows. Set two had a um, fantastic Golden Age in the Simple, uh, kind of like a little brother to 
the Vegas Golden Age into simple yes. for that 2016. Martian Monster with the Tweez reprise jam in the middle of it. Just a very good show. I think really good uh, show. very good run overall, actually. Yeah, I caught the 29th through 31st of this run, and the 30th, as we talked about a couple episodes ago, that's one of my favorite shows I've ever seen live. And I remember. Incredible show. Yeah, I remember webcasting the 28th and being like, shit, this is going to be good. Yeah, the 29th, that had. You got Meat Sticked, and I guess the second set, 29. That also had like. 20 years later, Kung, 20 kind of fun, dissonant. But staying on topic, finally we get to uh, December 28th of 2017. Very solid 1228 show. Fantastic tube in the first set. An incredible no man or no man's land into twist in set two. Very, very big jam in there. That was just a fantastic New Year's Eve run overall, actually. Yeah. What a what a good uh, coda to the Baker's dozen. Yes.
guys. So jumping into, we've got two kind of middle sections here as just a quick review of 2018. If you guys missed our 2018 top albums episode, um, that's got a What's ton of really great you? stuff. <laughs> that's all got a ton of really great stuff. Um, 120 plus albums recommended between Dave, myself, and 33 of our dedicated listeners and friends. Thank you all for writing in to us. Um, but as you all know, you know, that episode's recorded in early December. There's a whole month of music that's released, and there's also a whole month of listening to do where, you know, some of us jump into December Fish, some of us jump into listening to some of our favorite bands, Christmas music. There's also new albums from the year to still be digested. And we wanted to talk about two of those in particular. Uh, these are our late bloomers. So for me, I have a record that it's not as though this sat around with me the entirety of 2018 and finally clicked a little bit too late to make my overall list. It's that it was released too damn late. I am petitioning because we now come up with an episode on an annual basis to count down our favorite records of each year. I'm petitioning the music industry to just stop releasing albums on uh, November 15th. Let's just stop it and let us all kind of collect our thoughts and talk about 2018. Is that too much to ask? Well, a little bit. If stuff just stopped probably. coming out in November, there'd probably be some there'd be some label issues. I mean, I get it. I'm, I, I don't see this being a realistic option, it's, but it's, you know, neither was Brexit. Um, no. As, <laughs> so anyway. As to May is coming to find out. I saw... The greatest analogy for Brexit yeah. today as like someone from the UK tweeted that Brexit was basically as if like 52% of Britain voted to make a submarine out of cheese. <laughs> Just because they felt emotionally uh, entitled to? Yeah. <laughs> the most impractical thing you could imagine. Yeah, right. <laughs> and now those chickens are coming home to roost. So... Anyway. <laughs> That was our political diversion. Um, so, a lot of those this episode. What's that? So there's been a lot of those in this episode. It has. It has. It's the end of the year yeah. and, we're, and we're drinking heavily while we record. So, you know, again, it's our podcast. We can talk about what we want. Um, so anyway, this record came out in late November. This is Jeff Tweedy's Warm. And I'll be totally honest. I did not expect to really care that much about this record when it came out. Um you know, I just kind of figured Jeff Tweedy's been writing and recording music for almost 30 years now, probably over 30 years at this point, actually. Um, I don't really know why he's now coming out with a solo record. What is this going to really do to differentiate what he does from Wilco? Uh, he put out that record last year that was like acoustic covers of Wilco songs that uh, didn't really do anything for me. Um, and after I heard it the first time, I wanted to listen to it a second time and then a third time and then a fourth time. And had this album come out just one month earlier, it would have probably been in my top 10. I love this record. It really is up there for me with everything that I've loved from Jeff Tweedy since 2014. Um, as, as you guys would know, I'm a huge Wilco and Jeff Tweedy fan, but I definitely have fallen out with him from about 2008 to 2013. I just didn't really care about any of the music he or Wilco was making. Um, but ever since 
Sukure came out in 2014, and then Wilco put up a surprise Star Wars record in 2015, and then Schmilko in 2016, and now this record, Warm. I have just loved everything that he has done. I love this middle-aged career peak that he seems to be on. Uh, this record sounds like Summer Teeth era Tweety. The phrasing throughout it, like the lyrics that he wrote in this are just like this awkward coolness that sounds just just like Jeff Tweedy as like a 25-year-old, 30-year-old guy. Um, and it's probably the most open he's ever been about his painkiller addiction in song. And uh, I really like that. I like that honesty. I like how plain spoken it is. And um, just the entire album just gets me on a level. It's very simple, but it has a lot of really good backing sonic noise and vibrations in the way that Summer Teeth did, where it felt as though um, sounds were kind of taped onto the songs rather than just, you know, a couple of years later when Yankee Hotel Foxtrot really kind of fused all those ideas together. So I definitely dig this. Um, what are your thoughts on it, Dave? I know you're a Tweety fan. Yeah, this album's great. This is... Uh... I guess I'm actually more into it than I thought I was going to be because I yeah. I love Wilco for a long time, but like you, I didn't really care much about the acoustic Wilco's cover, uh, the acoustic cover album of Wilco cover songs. Even um, the first one he did with his son Spencer on drums, uh, Suki Ray. I guess that was largely meant for his wife who was suffering for cancer at the time, right? Yeah, it was. Yeah, right. Even. Despite that backstory, I really did not care for that record. But the new one, I'm really taken by. Like you said, it kind of gets out there. Yeah, it gets out there. It's um, I mean, yeah, the the record ends with a really kind of mellow note. But um, I don't know. It's uh, it's just really cool to see him kind of go through this period that you know, like Bob Dylan, Neil Young went through in like the 1990s when they'd kind of crested the wave of late thirties, mid forties. And we're suddenly like writing as almost elder statesmen in a way that, uh, had, you know, saw them go through like, you know, uh, secondary waves of their career peaks. I just, I really like it. It's good stuff. So I would recommend anyone check that out if they have not yet, because if they listen to this podcast, there's a good reason that they'll like that. Also, just want to put in a plug for, Jeff Tweedy's recent appearance on the Martin Marin WTF podcast. Which yes. I used to listen to that all the time, no matter who was on. And I started to listen to it less and less just due to the sheer amount of them and the fact that a little Martin Marin goes a long way. Yes. But I was I was the same way. I think in from like oh from I don't know, from like 2010 to about 2012, I listened to probably every single WTF, and that was a huge inspiration for why I, at some point, wanted to do a podcast. Yes, but yeah, Tweedy's his interview is great. Marin gets a lot of good stuff out of him. I mean, he comes off as very down to earth, very normal, yeah. willing to open up, and just seems like one of the good guys. So I'm more than happy to listen to his records.
album that I picked for a late bloomer record is a record by the David Nance group. It is called Pieced and Slightly Pulverized. Now, David Nance, I think he's either 30 or 31. Uh, I can't quite recall, but this guy really seems to believe in the power of rock and roll. <laughs> he's from Omaha, Nebraska. Quite possibly the best musical export from Omaha, Nebraska since 311. Or uh, I guess kind of Oberst, if you want to go the the uh, Saddle Creek route. And before, I guess, he put together the David Nance group, looks like he's got a bit of a sense of humor because if you go to his Bandcamp page, um, what he did before, he would like do full covers of albums under his name. Just like, I think he covered like Beatles for Sale. He covered Lou Reed's Berlin, but just these really sloppy, like stonerific, like garage rock, almost desecrations of these albums that, you know, clearly his tongue was clearly in cheek to a certain degree. But with the David Nance group, that's like a full band project of all original songs. And really his musical references in this record, they basically start and end with 70s Crazy Horse, albeit somehow an even lorify, more acid-drenched version. The song Amethyst, in particular, it's practically a Cortez the Killer cover, albeit one thrown into a wood chipper with guitar solos so loud and so dissonant, it's almost like an endurance test. It sounds like he blew up the amps. And in terms of his vocals, he definitely takes a lot from... um, like raspy Springsteen and like working class hero types, but he's also got a little bit of the wild eyed crazy. And I associate with uh, like Rocky Erickson, Screaming Jay Hawkins. Um, you know, basically, if you want a very loud guitar record from a guy who may appear somewhat unhinged, you will absolutely find something to like here. You've heard this record before, right, Brian? I have not, and the more you talk about it, the more I realize that this needs to be my first record I listen to tomorrow. I think you actually sent me the single before the record came out. You said, check this out. I know exactly what you're talking about now. Yeah, I remember listening to the single. I've not listened to the entire record. Yeah, listen to Amethyst loudly. Once you get done saying, this is Cortez the Killer played by a younger guy, you'll be like, holy shit. This, he means it, man. I will be I will be listening in full tomorrow. It's uh it's funny to think that there was so much music that came out this year that I recommended something to you and uh, I don't even recall it. <laughs> that says something I think good and bad at the same time. But this is uh this is definitely a really good call on your behalf.
right, guys, moving through the review of 2018 here for us. We just wanted to stop briefly and highlight our favorite fish shows of 2018. It's been an interesting year. You know, a year ago when we talked about this, we were coming off of the high of the Baker's Dozen, and the fan base really couldn't be any happier. It was the happiest I'd seen the fish fan base since fall 2013, Magna Ball. I mean, it was just a really great moment to be a fish fan. 2018 was a bit of an up-and-down year. We had a little bit of a rough summer, even though there was a good amount of jamming that went on. Obviously, curveball. Uh, and then fall tour ended things on a high note with an excellent run in Vegas. What, what were your thoughts kind of overall on 2018 fish? Um, fall tour was universally strong. It certainly, I think it turned a corner after uh, starting with Nashville 1, which we might get to a little bit. But, you know, fall tour was good when I struggled to really recall much about summer 2018 other than the fact that curveball got canceled. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I remember from kind of like uh 2016 in that standpoint. Right. I mean, summer 2018 they had that awesome second set of Bill Graham where Karini just found a new fucking gear. And uh mm-hmm. shout out to my friend from high school Dermot Stratton who was actually was at that show and had a theory that they played Karini so much in 2018 and opened so many second sets with it that they just got so inspired by going back and listening to um that second set Bill Grand Carini that I mean that happens often where they play a great version and they're like, okay, let's play this every other show. Yeah. And uh Atlanta was really good. Remember, Atlanta was great. Atlanta's was great. Night three we the, covered that. Night three the gorge was good. Um but after Atlanta we thought it was gonna reach a whole second gear and it kind of didn't. Camden was a bit of right. a letdown. Merriweather was fine. Yeah. Night one, night one, we're on record really not liking. Night two was a pretty solid show that's not really needed to be re-listened to, but it was really fun in the moment. Right. And then um, Walnut Creek, that was like the Shake the Sit. That was like the, like Shake Your Sillies. Oh, yeah, yeah. (laughs) I knew there was another show in there. That was such a weird show. That was the Shake Your Sillies Out show. It had stage banter, funny segues. Trey shouting the lyrics to Google Papyrus for no reason other than he felt like shouting the lyrics. <laughs> but yeah, overall, fall tour much stronger than summer tour. Um, so with that in mind, we both have shows from fall tour. Uh, mine is Vegas Night 3. Um, my favorite show of 2018 overall. I think just behind it would be Dick's Night 1, but um Let's just say if we re-recorded our top 10 fish show episode, uh, top to- top 10 fish shows ever episode, this would be in my top five. Um, I don't totally know what would be knocked out of it, but this would definitely be in my top five. Um, I would say Gorge 3, Alpharetta 2, Merriweather Post 2, Dix 1, Nashville 1, Chicago 1, and Vegas 4 were my other favorites from the year, but Vegas Night 3 just can consistently rose above it had everything it's got energy it's got rarities it has a huge first set jam and mercury a fully flowing second set a really killer encore i mean trey calls this an old show uh mercury and light i mean those are my two massive highlights from the show overall but both were peak moments of the overall tour year it's just a really good indication of 
where fish can be when they play at their absolute best, when they craft a really strong set list, when they focus really heavily on jamming and um, they just sound really good throughout the show. Um, were you able to webcast this show, Dave? Were you able to kind of follow along with this? Uh, yeah. Each of the Vegas shows, I webcast all of them and turned all of them off about 20 minutes into the second set just because I got too tired. Yeah. <laughs> Although this one, um, I want to say was Vegas 3. Was that like a Friday night? Saturday night? It was, it was the Friday show, yeah. It was a Friday. Okay, so I got a little bit further through that one again. Had to turn it off before it was over because East Coast and I'm a 39-year-old dad, so I need my sleep where I can get it.
terms of uh, my favorite show of 2018, I agree with you in that I think Vegas 3 is objectively the best, like, quote, best show of the tour, maybe the best show of 2018. But in terms of my favorite, um, I would say night one of Nashville, because that's where things really changed. You could hear them absolutely. They got a higher gear in that show. Um, The first set is very good. It's long. It's a good barbecue fish set, like we like to call excellent Wolfman's Velvet Underdown, uh, like Cool It Down, Breakout. It's, you know, a good variety, something you can put on and forget about it and just totally. enjoy it. But with set two, that mic song, I mean, I think it's probably a top five version of 3.0. It doesn't even have a second jam because they never really leave the first jam. They just kick it in the C major and Trey's doing all this melodic riffs. That was 14 minutes unadulterated awesome. And then they followed up with what I'm going to say is probably the best ghost of 3.0. I mean, I don't know what the heck of tone effects Mike is using on his bass, but it sounds like he's got like rubber bands attached to a spiked bat. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> he's just throwing down these riffs where he's like impaling Trey and Anastasio. Like they're having like a fight. Yes. Like there's a part where Trey is like climbing and climbing, getting into it. And Mike just keeps like throwing down like thunderbolts, like Zeus. It was an incredibly exciting 35 minutes of music that Mike's and ghost. Yeah, and then ghost after that is um, it's almost like they're like Mike and Trey are just like chasing each other, like round and round in circles. It's uh I've never heard any fish jam in 3.0 that's like that. I'm trying to remember the last time that Mike and Trey battled for the lead in this sort of way and it worked. You know, like they weren't, they were like stepping on each other's toes, but in a way that worked sonically. It's like the Roadrunner chasing the coyote, the coyote chasing the Roadrunner. And the coyote actually gets the Roadrunner for once. And it's <laughs> it's glorious. And then the rest of that set, you get very good versions of newer up with people fish, because it's got like the back to back set your soul free, everything's right. Really good versions of both of those. And then excellent weaker power with third stone from the sun teases. So it's just jam packed segue set and. um I think Loving Cup Encore, which was fine. Nashville Night 2, very good. Not nearly as good as Night 1. And then from there, they're kind of like an awesome cruise control. I think like Chicago and Vegas are just the tits, like, you know, front to back. Yeah, Chicago's got that really great first night in Rosemont. Uh, Second and third night have some up and down moments, but the No Man in No Man's Land, uh, second night of Chicago, and um, the Plasma, the... um, no quarter of all songs from night three were really good. And then, yeah, Vegas. Night three was weird. Night three was super night weird. Night three was, it was good weird. Yeah. With, when, like, when no quarter is going type two, you just tip your hat. Night three actually sounds better on tape than it was live. I think it was just kind of jarring the song uh, selections. And um, it's a little bit better outside of the live moment. But yeah, I would agree. This is where the tour turned. Hampton had some really, really great moments. Let's not discount the Golden Age or the Simple. Albany was a right. strong opening to the tour. But Nashville Night One was where it, it kind of reminded me of Worcester Night One in um, 
fall 2013, where, you know, they take a little bit of a, they take a couple days off after the first week of tour. And it's really that moment where either they're going to come out guns blazing again and everything's going to continue at this momentum or we just saw the best part of tour. (laughs) Nobody wants that. And why not? I think the band feels pretty comfortable in Nashville. They've recorded records in Nashville. They played a bunch of shows there. It's got, it's a gorgeous little amphitheater. I mean, they've got the best opportunity for food anywhere on the tour. I mean, that's, you know, it could be Nashville. If you're going to do some destination to fish, that's a really good place to go. So it's not a surprise that they would give them an absolute corker of a second set. Yeah, that's that Mike's ghost came out of nowhere. That was just, I'm sitting on my couch thinking, what the hell is this? <laughs> Holy shit. Fish has not lost the capacity to completely surprise. I will say if the band can follow the trajectory kind of to, to follow the model of 2016 uh, being a similar year to 2018 in the sense that summer tour was a bit rough. I would argue this was the better, a much better summer tour than 2016. It was much more interesting from a set list as well as a, a jamming standpoint. Uh, but then fall tour, I think, was head and shoulders above it. If this can follow 2016 and have a New Year's Eve run on par with that, um, everyone's going to feel pretty good going into 2019 fish to celebrate 10 years of three point Yeah, and assuming that there will be fish shows in 2019, I don't have any reason to think that there won't be. I mean, Trey could be relatively well oiled up. Would they announce today he's got his like April Ghost of the Forest project, which is a little bit tab, a little bit fishman, a little bit rock and roll? Yeah. We'll see how it goes. We'll see how that goes. But I agree with you. Yeah, if they're coming back in 2019, coming off of the 2018 high, him being ready to go at that point in time, we could be seeing some good things next summer. Absolutely.
All right, guys. So wrapping things up here on 2018. It's been a really killer year for Beyond the Pond. Dave and I, we've put out 31 episodes, full episodes, I want to say this year. Um, a couple more with a few bonus episodes there. It's been a really productive year overall. We've gotten to interview some really awesome people and um, really see the buddy network of the um, Osiris Podcast Network grow. So it's been a ton of fun for us. And as we kind of transition out of here, we're going to take a little bit of time into the end of 2018, early 2019. Uh, we wanted to leave you guys with some late night booze filled holiday jams. Um, just a quick note on us from a publishing standpoint. Uh, we will be taking a bit of a break here. I think our first episode is going to come out the second week of January, where we'll recap uh, a jam or jams from the New Year's Eve run at Madison Square Garden. Um, but uh, it's been a really good year, huh? I think so. It's been an excellent year. And I can tell you that 2019 is uh, looking to be as good, if not better. We've already got some potentially interesting people to bring on the pod who you will enjoy both from the fish world and or otherwise. And uh, yeah, we'll just take a brief break. I wouldn't call it so much as a hiatus, as a brief recharge. Um, we'll let the <laughs> holiday shows run their course. I know I have tickets to uh, the first three of the four. I'm not going to New Year's because if your wife really isn't into fish and you have a child, then leaving them to go see fish on New Year's is a one-way ticket to the couch. So <laughs> can't be doing that, but seeing three in a row for me is plenty at this stage in the game. Yeah, and the 29th and 30th is where it's always at. So you're you're hitting yes. the right figure at the right shows there. Um, so uh, before we leave you, we've we've come up with kind of a six song playlist that we're going to be figuring out here once we finish recording. But just so you guys have the songs here, the the idea here was, what are some holiday songs that you want to hear when you're drunk, either in a happy mood or a sad mood? I was thinking about like New York bars and uh, the only two times I've been in New York during the holidays were for fish New Year's Eve. So I have very distinct memories of rowdy dive bars at like one o'clock, two o'clock in the morning in Manhattan, um, partying with friends after fish shows and still hearing Christmas music. So I've got Donald Byrd's Christo Rendetto, Bruce Springsteen's. Santa Claus is coming to town, a rip-roaring version, a live version from uh, The Boss. And Tom Waits, probably the most appropriately titled Tom Waits song, Christmas Card from a Hooker in Minneapolis. That's a great song. Really nice. So the songs that I have picked, J.D. McPherson, Claws versus Claws, off of uh, his new Christmas album, Socks. He's a... Uh, Swinging throwback soul artist loved his album that came out last year. That's a really excellent Christmas record. And we've got Shiny Ribs, Don't Go Chasing Santa Claus. Uh, this is a reinterpretation of the STLC's Waterfalls. And uh, of course, Shiny <laughs> Ribs being um, the band fronted by Austin, Texas music legend Kevin Russell. Late of the Gourds. He's had shiny ribs, more of like a Gulf Coast, Dr. John S. Soul Project. Um, so they just put out a Christmas record. 
And next we have Casey Musgraves, A Willie Nice Christmas. Everyone loved her record Golden Hour. In 2016, she put out a great Christmas record. And this one is a duet with Willie Nelson. And uh, as you can guess, it's about getting as high as that star on the top of your tree. <laughs> awesome. Well, uh, happy holidays to every one of you who celebrates out there. Hope that you guys have a wonderful December with um, family and friends. We've all certainly, we both certainly enjoyed seeing this thing grow here in year two and uh, soaking in some good vibes and conversations with you all on Twitter. And we are very excited for what's to come here in 2019. It's going to be a fun time. We're not going to leave you. And quite the contrary, I'm very much looking to 2019 when we can all hold hands. I think Brian and I might both become homeowners in 2019. Yep. Right? We are. Yep. No way of stopping that train. <laughs> it just keeps going down the tracks, man. Nope. But most importantly, we'll get together. We'll hold hands and we'll go beyond the pond. Happy holidays. Mrs. Claus, Mrs. Claus, tell me what is wrong with you. I'm seeing all those dirty looks from way across the room. It makes it hard to concentrate on teddy bears and roller skates. Can't you see I'm working here? There's so much to do. I've got to finish up the list. I'm rolling up my sleeves it's time to make that yearly trip they call it Christmas Eve Mr. Claus Mr. Claus I really hope you know you're not the only jolly elf that's running this North Pole I fix the sled pick up the slack I keep the business in the black you never tell me thank you and you barely say hello I guess I've added up to here I'll Finally fly the coop Come this Christmas Eve What happened to the Christmases of yesteryear Making toys and having a ball Now it seems the good old days have disappeared Grumbling and bumping shoulders in the hall Come this Christmas Eve
Christmas
I know that you really want to know what it got to this year, but I think you're moving are too Thank you.
Say 